Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And good evening, one and all, and welcome back to the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to find out about the programming we have on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. And we're coming to you tonight on the Exxon Broadcast Network, iHeartRadio, Simul Radio, and Simul TV. If you'd like to send me an email, it's very simple. Exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. My guest this hour, Exxon Nation, is Benjamin Radford, a good friend of the Exxon. Uh, and uh, you're probably saying because of, you're one of the very new listeners that we have here on the network, thanks to our good people and friends at Simul Radio and Simul TV and Globecast. Uh, well, it's very simple. Benjamin is a, let me see, the deputy editor of Skeptical Inquirer Science Magazine, a research fellow with the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry, author over a thousand articles on a wide variety of topics, including urban legends, the paranormal, critical thinking, and media literacy, author of eight books and growing, board game creator, film director, science-based paranormal investigator. And uh, so as you can see, he's a very busy guy and he's here tonight to talk to us about one of his very interesting books entitled Mysterious New Mexico. Joining me now is former, uh, let me see, former, gosh, I forget the city. <laughs> Buffalo? Thank you. Former Buffalo resident. <laughs> it comes with old age, Nick. You've got another 40 years to, ex uh, to you know, to, to sample it. <laughs> Nick Redford, Nick, always great talking to you, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here. Hey, Nick, uh, just before we get on to oh, this. Call me Nick, not Ben. Uh, sorry, Ben. That's okay. I, I know Nick. He's, he's, yeah. uh, we actually look very similar. Um, we're both uh, bald. I'm slightly more handsome than he is, but uh, so I'm, I, I'm Ben. So I've heard. So I've heard. <laughs> and, all right. And uh, so, sorry about that, Ben. Um, you know, before we get to the serious stuff, I can prove unequivocally why extraterrestrials do not land on this planet and make themselves known. 
I've got the answer. I, I, I'm, I'm keen to hear it. You know, I, I've heard various theories, but mm -hmm. uh, all of them seem a little dubious to me. But I, I'm, I want to hear yours. The Senate, the Senate nomination into Judge Kavanaugh. They're watching it and they're saying, "You've got to be kidding! You want us to go down there? Forget it." <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's a, it's a mess. You you do have to wonder, you know, if there are in, intelligent life watching us. Hmm. They're just shaking whatever they use as heads and just saying, "Why would I want to go down there? You know, write uh, write little symbols and crop circles, probe anybody's butts. Why? Let's just let's let's move on." But you know, there's another example to prove that there has been reversed engineering done and that the extraterrestrials were in fact here. Where else would we get the, the tools used for a colonoscopy? <laughs> you know, in a, in a perverse, weird sort of logic, I think you're right. <laughs> ah, but I digress. <laughs> Great having you with us. And I was wondering, uh, tell us about... New Mexico. That's isn't that uh, where you were originally from, or you are now? Or yes, both yeah. actually. I, I was born in New York City, but uh, I spent the first couple of years with my parents traveling around, um, actually throughout uh, South America and Africa on the wow. back of a, in the in the back of a a, a trailer. Uh, we ended up in uh, Louisiana for a while, but I spent most of my life here in in arid New Mexico. Although I did spend an intervening decade up there in. In Buffalo, and uh, I, I don't want to disparage Buffalo, but I will say that one of my favorite things about being in Buffalo was going to Canada. Well, you know, you've got 20 million Canadians clapping right now. 21 well, with true. me. Um, by the way, for those of you watching us on Simul TV, the background photo is a photo of that beautiful beach that we were at in Lahaina, uh, the sunset in Lahaina. Maui is fantastic, and this was sent to me by a gentleman I had the pleasure of meeting there. His name is Maurice Lewis, and he is just one of the many uh, staff members at Bubba Gump's there. Fascinating time, great time, great food, great service, and a great photo. Thank you, Maurice, for sending me this great photo. Um, New Mexico is, I, I, I would imagine, known as uh, one of the states where very little happens. I mean... Besides Roswell. Uh, well, you know, New Mexico is a, a curious state. It's a relatively, relatively poor state. Uh, it's, it's pretty large. Um, as Of course, as you go towards the west, uh, the, the states get increasingly larger. Um, but it's very arid. And uh, I've, uh, I've had friends of mine who visited New Mexico for the first time, and they're surprised at, at how much of it actually does look like a, uh, a Bugs Bunny Roadrunner cartoon. Um, it's, uh, there, there, no, it, I've, I, there are, there are many parts of New Mexico that look now to be fair, I want to be crystal clear. All right. Um, you know, the state bird is the roadrunner. There is a real bird called roadrunner. It does not beep. Um, I was confused about that for, I, I, cause we have roadrunners here. I, I see them crossing the road every yeah. now and then usually eating lizards. And for, for the first few years, I, I, growing up here, I was like, why, why aren't they beeping? And then finally someone took me aside and said they, they only beep in the cartoons. But, but the, if you look at the backgrounds of the Wile E. Coyotes and Roadrunner, um, many parts of rural New Mexico look, look a lot like that. Uh, once again, I, I would imagine the most famous event to happen in Roswell, besides being the, the place where the, um, the, the atomic bombs you know, kind of left in the aircraft. I went over to Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Was the uh, it was the Roswell event of uh, 1947? 
Yeah, that's you know that is sort of the the, the marquee mystery of New Mexico, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, anytime you know, if I'm traveling abroad or something, and I tell people from New Mexico, they always they either latch on to Breaking Bad. Uh, which which is uh, filmed here? Oh my gosh. Or uh, or of course Roswell. Those are the two the two things they latch on to, and it's uh, it it is interesting. Um, you know, Roswell is about it's about four four and a half hours uh, south of where I am, but the the really the whole state is sort of saturated in 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 sort of an exoticness. That you know, it's it's always been a it's always uh, been a land that's that's drawn artists from George O'Keefe to uh, gunslingers. Um, we actually have our first uh, the the spaceport. We have a spaceport here a couple hours south of here, where uh, later this year or early next year they're going to be taking space tourists wow. up into orbit. So it's um it really is a, a land of of sort of curiosities, and I, I think part of it is that here in New Mexico it's easy to envision it being sort of a rural wild west area and so you know if i tell you that uh, that you know a ufo crashed somewhere you know in rural new mexico i don't know mesa in the desert or something it's more plausible than if i tell you it crashed you know outside of atlanta or boston or something that's because there are no witnesses in new mexico where there'd be multiple witnesses anywhere else <laughs> well that's a big part yeah. of it another thing that uh, that we can thank our our extraterrestrial brothers for is that thanks to ET giving somebody the finger is now socially acceptable. <laughs> That's right. I, I hadn't thought about that, but thanks to our space brothers, we can now do that. That's right. Um, have you been to Roswell? I'm sure you have. I have. I've been, I've been there two or three times. Uh, to be honest with you, there's not a lot there besides, you know, the UFO tourism. I mean, it, it's a nice enough town. Yeah. Uh, if you're on your way to, you know, uh, Western Texas, which I, I guess some people might be, um, it's a nice stopover. But I mean, the the main reason to go to Roswell, uh, that really pretty much anybody outside the area goes to Roswell is for the the UFO festival. And I I was there twice, uh, most recently about uh, five or six years ago, and it was fascinating. You know, I, I of course I you know eat, given what I do research investigations and weird things, it was I had to go sooner or later. Uh, and it was just, you know, it was this, this, you know, amalgam of, you know, bizarre new age stuff and, you know, people walking around with, you know, alien costumes on and this hodgepodge of, uh, of, of, it wasn't just aliens. It was, you know, basically a kitchen sink of, of new age stuff. So you had psychics and crop circles and, and I, I met a guy named Lloyd Pye who died uh, oh a year or two gosh. back. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Lloyd, uh, with yeah. Starchild. The, the exactly this star child skull yeah. and uh he uh he he and i talked about that and it was it was kind of interesting because he um he recognized me and uh, i you know as as you know i've done a fair amount of media and tv sure. and stuff and every now and then i when i'm going to interview somebody i don't always want to necessarily announce who i i'm not hiding who i am but it's, it's I, I sometimes get more information if they don't see me as you know the the skeptic. But he he recognized me and he he said, "Oh, come on over, uh, you know, I'll I'll show you the thing." So he was actually a very nice guy. I I, I didn't I, I some of, some of the answers when I asked him about why he was so certain that his his uh, skull was of alien origin were a bit sketchy, but he was a nice enough guy. You and I have to take our break. Please stand by. Our good friend uh, Benjamin Radford is my guest this hour. Exonation. And if you'd like to find out more about Benjamin, www.benjaminradford.com. This is The Exxon. I am Rob McConnell coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. No, the graphic that we're using tonight 
is not the regular studio one we use. This is from Lahaina, Hawaii, on the island of Maui, where right now it's 93 degrees and it is six hours earlier than it is here in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. So right over there, it's about 1.24 in the afternoon. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Benjamin Radford is my guest for this hour, www.benjaminradford.com. Uh, we were talking about Lloyd Pye before we um, went to the break. And when I first started doing this show going back to 19, oh my gosh, let's see, we've been on air for 30, oh, about 1990, 1991. Uh, do you know what he was he was talking about back then? Uh, I don't actually. Bigfoot. I, I did not know the interesting. All yeah, right. He was talking about Bigfoot, and uh, he actually had the lineage of Bigfoot going back to the Russian czars, and that the Russian coal miners uh, would use Bigfoot as, as a laborer, and at night the miners would have their way with the female members of the Bigfoot race. I. That doesn't not. Does not entirely shock me, but, but I I didn't know that. That's that's fascinating. I yeah. it, it it all kind of fits. I mean, you know, he was very excitable guy. Yes. Um, uh, and I can totally see him being sort of latching on to some wild idea and just pursuing it. So that's uh, that's that's fascinating. Yeah. So you know, my standard joke was, you know, the difference between a dog and a fox is. Is, is seven Jack Daniels, but now it's the difference between a dog and a Sasquatch, seven Jack Daniels. Well, there you go. And of course, as you know, uh, one, one of, one of, if not the most famous uh, story of uh, some, shall we say, dalliances mm -hmm. with, with a Sasquatch was up in, uh, up in BC with Albert Osman, yep. a, a Canadian uh, uh, prospector, I think, if I'm not mistaken. But what was he prospecting for? <laughs> some some hot big feet, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, it can be kind of cold up here in Canada, as you well know. <laughs> but it's okay now. Our prime minister uh, saw it fit to legalize marijuana. So I'm sure that's going to change things. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'll, uh, uh -huh. I'll swap you anytime. If you want to send Justin down here, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll trade you at the drop of a hat. You know what? If I could, I would. If I, <laughs> I could, I would. It. Just for you. We'll even take Belinda Stronach at this point. I mean, whatever, whoever you got out there, just just send somebody oh, over. No. Oh, I mean, wait a sec. Hold on. You've got you've got William Shatner, and you you've got you know all the Canadian actors down there. Now you want our Prime Minister? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> send send send, uh, send Getty Lee down here. I, I'd love to have him run things around here for a while. Yeah, well, he's a great singer. Guns and Roses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, now, why did you write the book on the mysteries of New Mexico when you've written, you know, you've gone all over the world, you've been across the United States several times. 
why mysterious New Mexico? What do you know that the rest of us don't know? That's actually a good question. You know, part of it was that I had um, I had previously written a book for UNM Press, my, one of my publishers, mm -hmm. University of New Mexico Press, and I did one, uh, as you know, on the Chupacabra. Yeah. And uh, that you know took a couple of years, and it was a pretty in-depth investigation. It was it was a you know d a good investigative piece there, and and uh, my editor there, a guy named Clark, was talking to me, and he said, "Well, what, what do you have next?" And I said, "Well, you know, I've, I've you know I've always got I'm always being asked to do some investigation. Maybe it's you know genies or UFOs or monsters mm -hmm. or whatever else." And and he said, "Well, you know," uh, and I talked to him you know, about Loch Ness and different stuff I'd done. And he said, "Well, what about what about something you know here in your own backyard?" And and I hadn't really thought about it. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, it's, um, you know, when you live in a place, you, it just everything sort of just becomes background. You know, exactly. so, you know, so sometimes it takes a, a friend or a stranger coming here to sort of point out the things that you, you walk by every day. Um, and he said, yeah, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of weird things. And I said, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do Roswell. Roswell has been done to death. And he said, no, no, there's, you know, just, he said, he just said, you know, just spend some time looking around. And sure enough, he was right. And so I, I realized that there's so many mysteries and there's so much high strangeness uh, here in my own home state that was literally in my backyard. Um, and I said, yeah, let me let me let me turn some of my uh, some of my investigations into a book. And and I, I had actually done several of the investigations beforehand. I just hadn't sort of had the thought to sort of combine them into uh, a book specifically about mysteries, miracles and myths and legends um, in New Mexico. So that's that's what I did. What was the most mysterious, the most mysterious event that you discovered that shocked even you? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, I would have to say um, th th there's a couple that I really deal with in the book. One of the most mysterious ones that I was surprised at, at how it turned out was I was asked uh, to look into miracle healings. And you know, I investigate miracles on occasion if it's if it's something that's sort of within my, my bailiwick. Um, and, uh, I was actually on a, on a, a guest on a TV show called Miracle Detectives a couple of years back. It was on Oprah's network, which good I, show. I think it was, a good is show. it? Yeah. yeah, it was pretty good. I, I don't know. I think, I think Oprah network is, is, is long gone, but I was on there once or twice and, um, and I got an email out of the blue from somebody who had seen me on that TV show and said, you know, I, I was healed by miracle dirt. Can you investigate? <laughs> And uh, miracle I <laughs> said, okay. Uh, and so I looked into it. And as it turns out, uh, there is a church uh, up in northern New Mexico, about an hour, hour and a half north of here. Uh -huh. uh, and it is, uh, it is said to have, um, it's called the Chimayo. And it's said to have, uh, the, there's, it's a beautiful old church. It's, you know, one of the oldest uh, in, in the, certainly in the Southwest. Right. Uh, old adobe, just you know, gorgeous old uh, place. Um, and there's one particular room that has a hole in the floor, and there is uh, there's a it's basically sand and, and dirt underneath it. And the story is, and I'd, I'd occasionally heard this, um, you know, just growing up, you know, people talk about the the the, pil the pilgrimages there. Yeah, so sure, once okay. a year they have, you know, for for Easter and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but I hadn't really paid much attention to the, the miraculous healings. It was just, I, I'd heard about it, but it was, it didn't really enter my radar or something that I could or should research. But in this case, I had somebody who was 
who had contacted me of their own volition saying, I was cured by this miracle dirt. You know, can you can you validate this? Um, so it, it's kind of a long story. I won't go to the whole thing. It's it's one of the chapters in the book, but it was it was fascinating. So I, I met the guy, uh, a guy named Armando, and uh, and he uh, his story just briefly was that he had been uh, severely burned. Uh, he just come home uh, from military service. Um, and, uh, he, he was, uh, he was, it was here in New Mexico and he had, he, there was, there was a, a flash fire and somebody had knocked over, uh, some oil mm. and just and basically, or actually it was, uh, fumes and it just exploded up. And, uh, he was, uh, according to his story, he was badly burned, uh, third degree burns over most of his body. And he said that uh, he'd gotten bandaged up and, and and the whole thing, and that he had gone. And, and this this all happened. Uh, I'm I'm forgetting the day. It was in the, in the 50s, I believe. And he uh, he had been taken um, and insisted on going to the the church because uh, he was a very devout Catholic, um, where he had rubbed this this dirt on his wounds. And he said that within a few days he was he was almost entirely healed. And so that was a that was an interesting case. I, I, I didn't really know what to do with it, and I ended up uh, consulting with medical doctors and, and researching as much as I could what, what actually you know happened to him and trying to piece it back together. Because, again, by the time I had heard the story, it was decades old. And so I had to try and uh, – I, I met with him and his wife, and they didn't have any records to, to go back that far. And so it was a, it was a fascinating case. What uh, what medical what did the medical professional say about the the possibility of this dirt having any effect on on his wounds? Well, the, there were a couple aspects to it. Well, the first one was that I soon realized or I discovered that um, that and I don't think I'm giving away any secrets here, but they they actually truck in sand um, from from elsewhere. So it's not as if it's not as if you know the the dirt miraculously right. reappears after people take it out. Uh, they, they, in fact, if you go behind the church, there's a huge pile of sand where they, they bring it in and put it back in the hole and then the people, the, the, the pilgrims take it out. Um, and so I, I did some research into, you know, what, what, what's the possibility that this dirt actually has miraculous healings. And, um, and there were a couple answers. One of them is that frankly, again, given that it's actually dirt that's trucked in from elsewhere and then placed there and then taken out by the, by the devout. Right. Um, it, it's mostly sand and there's, there's not much there. I mean, there are, there is some, uh, some clay, there's calcium carbonate that's, you know, might, some people might use to, uh, for upset stomach, things like that. It's one of the, one of the ingredients in Pepto-Bismol, for example. Um, but in terms of, in terms of actually putting it on a topical wound, there really wasn't much, uh, much validity to that. And another interesting aspect is that if you, if you go to the church, um, uh, there's rows and rows of crutches. And so the, the, the implication is that, you know, people have not only been healed of, of, for example, you know, bad burns, right. But, you know, they're, they're, they've suddenly been, been able to walk again. Um, so it was, it was interesting. So I, you know, I, I, one of the first things was to, to try and piece together how bad was the original burn. Um, and, uh, in, 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 could it have been, you know, was it actually a third degree burn or was it like a first degree burn? In which case, uh, and as it turned out, again, I don't want to spoil the ending of the story, but as it turned out, what he described was much more likely to be what's called a flash fire, ah. which is, which is, uh, what can be certainly very, very painful, but it's not, it doesn't have, it's basically, you know, if you combust, 
fumes. Right. So, you know, he wasn't doused in gasoline. It was fumes that exploded. And so, so piecing back together, it, it turned out that almost certainly his original wounds and his burns were not as bad as he remembered. And I, uh, Nick, I, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, sorry. Ben, stand by. You and I have to take a break. Exonation Benjamin Radford is our special guest. And uh, I, I've, I've heard of uh, men going to gentlemen clubs and getting flash burns as well from sitting too close to the brass pole. <laughs> We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Back everyone, Benjamin Radford's our special guest, and if you'd like to contact Benjamin or if you would like to buy any of his books, visit his great website. It's www.benjaminradford.com. Uh, ben, in Chapter 3, you investigated the mysterious crystal skulls. Now, besides talking about Lloyd's Pie um, Star Child, the only crystal skull that, that I'm aware of is the Mitchell Hedges skull. Yes. What do you know about that skull and the other skulls? What significance do they play in society, if any, besides being very ornamental doorstoppers? <laughs> well, they are beautiful pieces, they are. I have to say. Uh, yeah, you know, as, exactly as you pointed out, the, the most famous crystal skull in the world is, is uh, the, the one um, by Mitchell Hedges, uh, mm -hmm. the one owned by Mitchell Hedges. Uh, I think uh, the, the daughter, Anna, died uh, a few years back, yes. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I think she lived in Canada. She did, in Kitchener. She, that's right. That's right. I'm <laughs> glad my memory isn't failing me. But yeah, so it was. It was interesting. So you know, I'd, I've always been fascinated by crystal skulls, um, and because they're just inherently amazing objects, right? I mean, whatever, whatever you may think of their, you know, reputed uh, New Age origins. I mean, some people believe that they come from Atlantis. Some people believe mm -hmm. they have certain powers and they can heal. And uh, and um, the, the the Mitchell Hedges skull that you mentioned uh, that was said to um, have the power to kill. Well, wasn't there a, wasn't there a, a, a big controversy about it? Uh, wasn't uh, wasn't it uh, wasn't it actually the Bernie Smith skull that 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 Mitchell Hedges actually acquired somehow? Yeah, there's a whole. <laughs> we could do a whole episode just on that. It's it's a fascinating yeah. history. But yeah, basically, uh, you know, it, it's uh, the, the Mitchell Hedges skull was supposed to have been found by uh, F. A. Mike Mitchell Hedges, who was sort of a um, a, a British uh, raconteur, explorer, man about town, um, back in the back in the uh, in, in the fifties. You, you see, Exxon Nations. Did you see how elegantly our guest described Mitchell Hedges? Like I just say, he was a bloody idiot. But well, I you know I he's dead, so we can we can say words like fraud, con man. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, this is a Canadian podcast, so I'm trying to be polite. Uh, uh, this is a radio show, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, didn't mean to cast oh, aspersions. Ouch, ouch, ouch. <laughs> this is a Canadian show. So, uh, but no, so, you know, the, the story goes and, and it is, you know, it, it's again, it's a fascinating, rich story. Yeah, so you've is. got 
um, you, you've got this this explorer who's talking about how he he came back from uh, Belize at the time it was uh, British Honduras. Yeah. Um, and he he tells this very ornate story. I think the, one of his books was taught, was called Danger My Ally, which is a book that I, I I want to rip off that title. That is an awesome title. If if nothing else, the man can title a book. Did, did you ever read the sequel? Uh, I don't know that I did. It was called Danger My Ass. Let's <laughs> good. Yeah, you're on a roll tonight. Um, that. <laughs> Okay, so okay, pull them together. Yeah, so 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 he he tells this this story about going to this. He's in the the lost ruins of Lubantun, in the in the in the Belizean jungle, and, and I've been to Belize several times in yes. in the jungle region, mm-hmm. not too far from there, actually. Uh, and there are actual you know ruins there, and and he apparently did spend some time there, and he he tells the story. Of uh, of how actually he, he told a couple different stories. I'll, I'll just give you one quick one. Uh, he says that uh, that he was there with his daughter Anna, who at the time I think was eight or ten or something, yeah. uh, accompanying her her uh, her her uh, her amazingly adventurous uh, non con man father uh, into the jungles there. And um, wait a second, wait a second, wait a sec, Ben. I thought you said she went with uh, with Mitchell Hedges. Uh, you, <laughs> Yes, F.A. Mike Mitchell Hedges, her her non-con man father. Oh, that's what threw me off the non part. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. It didn't mean to throw you off there. Phew. So, so they they told again. They they told several different stories, as you know. One of them was that uh, they were there, and uh, she was being a mischievous little girl. I think it was actually her birthday, uh, according to one of the stories, and and she saw a glimmer of light somewhere deep inside the cavernous thing, and and they lowered her down inch by inch. Uh, in a very suitably melodramatic <laughs> style, reminiscent of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, oh, you're killing me! She, you're killing I'm, me! I'm, I'm, this, I'm telling you the story. So she, 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 like you know, sc- you know, fought away rats and she took a dragon or something. I don't, I don't remember exactly. What the, I don't know. You slayed a dragon. Jeez. Oh, uh, chupacabras. I don't. Anyway, the point is that that after after the, all this daring do, she uh-huh. she grasped the skull again, something straight out of a, a Spielberg film, uh, and was uh, hoisted up, mm-hmm. and she held this crystal skull aloft. And the natives, who you can imagine were, in in her telling, were sort of so reverential, they fell to their feet. <laughs> This, you know, wearing probably grass skirts or something and just, you know, profess their lives to this woman. Do you know uh, why they fell to their feet? Because they thought the other guy dropped her and they were happy to see her alive. <laughs> exactly. So they they tell this story. And this is a story that Mitchell had just told and then Anna later on told. Uh, and, and, and again, they told several contradictory stories about how exactly they found this thing. But the, the, the true story is that it was uh, basically bought from a, uh, a collector. Uh, and then it was it was pawned, and then uh, Anna bought it back from the guy, yeah. and then made up this whole story about how she had found it herself in this lost ruins in Belize. Uh, but meanwhile, it turned into this huge circus because because it, it is an amazing piece of of work. It is. Uh, and it, you know, there's there's uh, it's it's just a cool thing. But but everybody began talking about how it had all these powers. People would people would pay money to be in the same room. With this skull, uh, believing that it it increased their psychic abilities and they would they would have visions and all these all these sorts of things, uh-huh. um, and that so that that's one of one of several uh, 
one of several crystal skulls that I talk about in the in the chapter. Now, I understand, and I, and I authenticated this fact with a number of people that the that the initials Mitchell Hedges used to put behind his name were actually because he had bought a membership to the London Zoological Society. <laughs> I, I think I heard that. Yeah. Yes. But then again, you know, if it wasn't for Anna Mitchell Hedges and and uh, her dad and the story of the of the and the finding of the crystal skull, many gypsies would be out of work because then they'd have no crystal balls. That's right. That's right. And it takes balls to make a joke like that. It certainly does. Crystal ones. Boom boom. <laughs> you see, I can have we can have fun on this show too, like Howard Stern, without getting obnoxious. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. What's that, Craig? You're fired. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I remember having somebody on the show when I was at CKTB who had something to do with Anna Mitchell Hedges. They lived in Port Coburn, Ontario. They owned a dive shop uh, uh, for diving, uh, industrial commercial diving into Lake Erie. And I can't, for the life of me, remember what the connection was. Hmm. But uh, I'll go through my files and... Uh, I remember getting excited because I was going to have somebody on about the Mitchell Hedges, uh, about uh, the Crystal Skull, Mitchell Hedge, and, uh, mm -hmm. and and the rest of it. And then I started doing my research into it, and I kind of felt silly. Like, oh, no. Well, yeah, a lot of people bought into it. Yeah. I mean, it was fascinating. I mean, the, you know, the, you know, in, in, my, in my chapter, I talk about, you know, that, that's only one of several crystal skulls. There's actually another crystal skull that has a, a connection to here in New Mexico. And uh, it's kind of a long story I won't go into. Sure, it, let's do that on the other side of the break. But I must tell you, the, we'll the, the artwork that, that went into the creation of these crystal skulls is, is amazing, considering... Uh, to, to the best of my knowledge, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, they were they haven't been able to find any tooling uh, evidence. Well, they the using microscope, they, they actually did find some tooling well, ones on, on the on the more recent ones. But I mean, uh, on the Mitchell Hedges uh, skull. Oh, I, yeah, I don't know. I um, it, I'm I'm not remembering yeah. off the top of my head if the, uh, what the if the tooling marks. I know that on on several of the crystal skulls they they absolutely did find tooling marks. I don't right. remember if that was the case with Mitchell Hedges. But isn't Mitchell Hedges' skull the only one that has the uh, detachable or removable bottom jaw? I believe so. Yeah. yeah. The uh, there is there's another one at the British Museum, um, and I, I saw at the British Museum. There's a photograph of it in, in the book. And as I recall, that's all one piece. So that that is one of the things that's unique about the Mitchell Hedges skull is it, it is it is two separate pieces. Do we know anything about its actual origin, not the origin that that Mitchell Hedges uh, spun about it? Well, in the case of, of the Mitchell Hedges skull, uh, it was uh, I'm forgetting the exact name, but it was it was a you know it was, it was bought by a collector. In fact, they actually found the receipt. <laughs> For the for the skull, oh, basically disproving that she you know that she'd found it in right. in, in in suitably cinematic form, uh, but many of the many of the the similar skulls were were being made uh, in Germany and also in in, uh, in South America, uh, sometimes from uh, South American courts, often from uh, Brazil. So we know that there there actually was a cottage industry making these crystal skulls in the in the eighteen hundreds, late eighteen hundreds. Wow. Unbelievable. Benjamin Radford, please stand by. You and I have to take our final uh, break for this hour. Exonation Benjamin Radford is our guest this hour. He's a real cool guy, even though he's from Buffalo. Um, <laughs> that's why he's now in New Mexico, 
Hey, listen, I'm sorry. I've got a lot of great friends in Buffalo. Besides, if it wasn't for Buffalo, there'd be no Buffalo wings, and we all love them, don't we? Mm-hmm. Benjamin Radford, www.benjaminradford.com. And Benjamin and I will be back as we wrap up this hour here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Um, people have a, a fascination with, with glass and crystals. Uh, my grandmother, God bless her soul, used to collect glass paperweights. Hmm. And I remember as a child spending hours just looking at them in wonderment saying, what the hell does anybody do with this stuff? <laughs> Hold well, on paper, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> we'll be back on the other side of this break. This is the X-Zone. Don't go away. Benjamin Radford is my guest this hour, Rexon Nation, www.benjaminradford. He is the deputy editor of Skeptical Inquirer magazine. It's a science magazine, a research fellow with the Committee for uh, Skeptical Inquirer, author of over a thousand articles on a wide variety of topics, including urban legends, the paranormal, critical thinking, and media literacy, author of eight books and counting, board games. Ten books. Ten. Wow. <laughs> I, I cranked out two of them since the last break. My God, you're good. What can I say? Uh, a board game creator, film director, science-based paranormal, and all-around nice guy. Once again, his website is benjaminradford.com. And Benjamin, as I said during the break, always look forward to having you on. Great talking to you. And uh, congratulations on all the great things that you're doing. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's um, it's. I always enjoy being on your show. It's uh, it's you know, you get a chance to just just talk and and you know. <laughs> Just uh, just chat about fun stuff, and it's sometimes it's very academic. Sometimes it's a yeah. little 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 lighter. It's uh, it's it's great. I I always enjoy listening to conversations between two people who are talking about interesting things, and so uh, or at least you are. I, I'm 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 not sure about myself, <laughs> but you are. Oh, we have a good time. That's what that's what I believe radio should be like. You should have a good time. You don't need to have this close set format. Right. You know, just and and when we're getting new guests on who have never done an interview, I say, just imagine, just imagine meeting a friend at a coffee shop, sitting down, having a coffee, discussing something, mm -hmm. and that's what works for uh, for most people. Um. Everybody knows about the Roswell crash. Who has any interest in UFOs whatsoever? But what about uh, I've heard of a crash at Aztec. Yes. Tell us about that, Nick. Yeah, you know, Aztec was, uh, you know, as, as I mentioned, with with when people think UFOs in New Mexico, they go right to Roswell. It's you know, yeah. it's 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 by far the best known crash anywhere in the world, of course, and certainly New Mexico. Um, but many few people have heard about the the Aztec crash, even though uh, in many ways it's it's um it's it's even more interesting. <laughs> If you can believe it, and Aztec is a tiny little town up by the Four Corners area, and that's the that's in the uh, the sort of um, northwest area where four different states meet in sort of a little crosshair. It's a, it's a sort of a cute little thing, clicking they have there. And there's a small little town of Aztec, New Mexico, 
And um, and the story goes, uh, it's sort of a long story. I'll, I'll sort of try and summarize. But basically, the story goes that in 1948, and again, this is a year after the Roswell crash, and uh, a year also a year after, of course, Kenneth Arnold, who the first person to to have a high profile nationwide sighting of uh, different things that were later mis, 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 uh, inaccurately described as flying saucers. That was the first time that flying saucers entered the public lexicon. Uh, it was actually – there was a mistake by the journalist. He was actually describing how they moved, not what they looked like. But So anyway, this is right around that same era. And the story goes that um, – that there was a, a, a extraterrestrial craft was was uh, was coming through the state, and um, there were radar sites that tracked it, and something apparently happened to it. Maybe it hit a tree or ran out of gas. I don't really know what they do, uh, but it uh, it it crashed, um, and uh, this was discovered soon. And immediately, of course, the government came in. So there were the world's top scientists. Um, if you, you picture the end of uh, in, uh, in Raider Lost Ark, where mm -hmm. they say, you know, top men, <laughs> the, the top men showed up along with uh, soldiers and police officers and everything. And they they were they 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 found the saucer that was ninety nine point nine nine feet in diameter, not 100 feet. That's that's a whole different saucer. This one was ninety nine point nine nine. And uh, they, they were circling this thing. And uh, apparently one of the windows was broken out. And for so for two days they couldn't figure out how to get into it, and they they had a long stick that apparently they were poking at the control panel, and they hit a button or something, and the the latch popped open, uh, and inside were uh, were a bunch of uh, of uh, aliens, and there were uh, there were sixteen bodies, and they they were described as being very human like, but between three and three and a half feet tall, and they were clothed in this sort of mysterious old type of clothing, but it was indestructible. So it was this strange metallic thing um, that was, you know, couldn't be burned or torn or anything. Uh, and another thing that was noted was the aliens all had perfect teeth. Okay, so they know a good dentist. <laughs> on, on Venus, apparently. Venus. <laughs> That, yes, it was. Uh, so well, it, it was. It was believed by somebody there that uh, that because uh, because the saucer was ninety nine point nine nine feet in diameter, that that somehow indicated that it was uh, of Venusian or Venusian origin. Well, what, wasn't that. George Adamski into the Venusians? He was. Yeah, yeah. Adamski was was all about that, and of course he made uh, his his uh, his series of photographs, which are certainly these days not not looked upon too favorably but adamski and yeah this is this is around the era when these things were very much in the popular consciousness yeah. um anyway so uh, again it's, it's sort of a, it's a long story but basically what happened was that um the uh the the, the story came to light because of, of basically two people one of them was a guy named silas newton and silas newton was an oil man uh, and he was sort of a, he spent a lot of time in oil fields and trying to get investors to do things. And, and he came across a story and he pitched it to a guy named Frank Scully. And Frank Scully was a reporter in Hollywood and he wrote for Variety. In fact, uh, Scully is where Chris Carter got the name for the X-Files. That right. was from, from, from Frank Scully. And, uh, Newton had known, uh, Scully for a while and Scully, um, heard the story of this amazing crashed flying saucer out in this tiny little town outside of uh, in, in Aztec. Um, and he uh, he wanted to know more about it. And um, and so uh, Newton said, okay, well, I'll tell you about it, but I, I can't give you any 
um, any solid evidence because, of course, it's a cover-up. Because, you know, as soon as the the men in black came in, they took it all. They told everybody to shut up. Uh, But he said, I can I can let you speak to an anonymous scientist who was there. Exactly. And this anonymous scientist was called Dr. G. Um, And Dr. G uh, met with uh, Frank Scully and was incredibly impressed. And Dr. G told about how he was one of the world's top scientists and he had, you know, more degrees than a thermometer. And he was, you know, he'd been involved in top secret things. And he was, he was called to the crash site because of his expertise. And he was the person that, you know, actually handled and saw the dead alien bodies and flat crash saucer and this and that. And, and Scully loved the story. He's like, this is, oh my God, this is, this is amazing. So he began writing articles for Variety and he later uh, wrote a book that was very popular and, and influential. Um, basically with his anonymous source, Dr. G and no real evidence. Um, but what was, what was odd about it was that Dr. G, uh, and, and Silas Newton, they weren't really that interested in aliens. Um, they, they were like, oh, you know, it's not really that interesting. They were more interested in getting investors. All right, Craig. Yeah, we caught it. All right, there, my producer th- thought he'd be smart on throwing the uh, X-Files theme. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so the, the, the idea was that, um, and th- this actually surprised Scully because he's like, well, you know, you, you're telling me about this. You, know, mm-hmm. you, 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 you saw these crashed alien bodies and stuff. And he's like, yeah, that, that's real. What, what we really want to do is like, here's the thing. So, so Dr. G talked about how he had taken some of the technology from the from the flying saucer and put it into something called a doodle bug. Uh, apparently, this this is this seemed plausible in, in 1948, and uh, and the and so Newton and Dr. G were getting investors uh, to invest in these in these devices, which, uh-huh. according to uh, Newton and Dr. G, could detect oil, because again, Silas Newton's an oil man. It could also detect water, and it could also diagnose medical problems. Um, wow. It, I, I know, right? It slices, it dices. Uh, there's pretty much nothing this little device couldn't do because of the the, reco- the recovered uh, alien technology. And so based upon this, Newton and Dr. G uh, went around telling people that they, they had this, this device, and it was in about, something about the size of a shoebox, and it had little dials and knobs on it. And they said, okay, now this is this is made from Venusian technology and it can always detect oil, you know, better than anything else. Oh, wow. And, you know, we, we can find these sorts of things. Just give us money and we'll invest in it. But they said, you can look at it, but don't open it. Yeah, it sounds like the, 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 the that truth meter that they use at the Church of Scientology. It was very much like yeah. the meters, yes. But here's the, and in this case, they said, okay, but you can't open it because the technology is so secret that there's explosives in it. And if you open the, if you open the latch, it will explode. And we're like, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so they, they paid the, so many investors paid a bunch of money to Silas Newton and Dr. G, who was later determined to be a guy named uh, Jabauer, uh, to invest in this alien technology that would help them become rich by finding uh, oil out in the, in the South, in the Southwest. So, um, this eventually came to the attention of a journalist by the name J.P. Kahn, K-A-H-N, whose, uh, whose skepticism was, shall we say, piqued 
by this story. And uh, I'll cut to the chase. Uh, JPCon investigated uh, for the San Francisco Chronicle and eventually exposed both Jabauer and Silas Newton as the con men that they obviously were. Uh, and they ended up being convicted of fraud. Unbelievable. And it's been a great hour with you, Ben, as it always <laughs> is. Take care of my friend. Continued success. And I can't wait till the next time you and I chat here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studio. Until then, be well, be safe, and be happy. All right, X-Zone, I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to find out more about our guest this hour, Benjamin Radford, visit his website at www.benjaminradford.com. And for one of the best publications out on the market today, just go into your Google search engine and type in Skeptical Inquirer. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Don't go away.